Hello and buongiorno. I figured I got to start talking Italian a little bit since my name is Mario Costabile, although I don't really say it like that in the American way. It's Mario Costabile. But anyway, welcome back to this podcast called A Reason for Hope. Super excited that you're with us today. Uh, and in this podcast, we're going to share and explore ways that we can go deeper in our faith. What would it be like if you knew someone you spent time with, experienced life with, and shared many events with them that is now a canonized saint? I mean, that would be pretty amazing, don't you think? In 1969, a young priest while in Rome was asked by a religious sister if he had access to a car to pick up the head of their order, the Missionaries of Charity, who was flying into Rome from India. Well, this young priest, he had a car and he picked her up. And that was the beginning of a 28-year friendship with Mother Teresa, who we now know today as St. Teresa of Calcutta. And so this young priest I'm speaking about is our guest today, and that is Monsignor Michael Mannion. And he's going to share his stories about St. Teresa of Calcutta. This is going to be a very cool episode. So relax and sit back as we welcome you to A Reason for Hope. And here we go. Hey, Dave. How you doing? Doing okay. Yeah? Hanging in there. Hanging in there? What's going on? Anything new? Uh, well, not just a little back thing. Back so, thing. Yeah, it's been a you little, bit, it's, of, a little bit of a pain. It's an old, it's an old thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what they <laughs> that's say. That's what happens when you hit a certain age. No what? event. No... Mm. obvious way I got the injury, just, just there it is. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the beautiful and the glories of getting old. <laughs> but on a good note, we have a great episode today. I mean, I'm super excited about, we have a priest, a friend of ours, Monsignor Michael Mannion, who's going to be sharing his stories uh, about Mother Teresa. He actually knew her personally. Uh, and this episode is actually going to be released during Holy Week. Uh, so we hope that these stories will really lead our audience into the most holiest of days. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, uh, St. Teresa of Calcutta is an incredible witness to the gospel. Mm. You know, her, her love and care for the poorest of the poor, and even more like her solidarity with them, like living the way they do, living among them with her yeah. sisters. It's obviously a very inspirational thing. Also, she was a very courageous pro-life witness. She never missed an opportunity to speak on behalf of the voiceless unborn. And in fact, she was bold. Mm -hmm. Like even, even using the opportunity of her winning the Nobel Peace Prize right. to talk about the unborn. Yeah. So, so obviously, those are just tremendous ways in which she witnessed to the gospel. We have a... Uh, movie on our channel that there was a recent documentary on her yeah, yeah we're, we're super out. excited to be carrying that on the array of hope channel yeah which is great so people should definitely check that out yeah yet i think there's an aspect of her spiritual life that our listeners may not be aware of that is really important yeah what is that well first i'd recommend a book entitled come be my light this is a book which uh really takes her journey from the time that she heard the voice mm. on that train to Darjeeling. The voice was Jesus's voice, but she always referred to it as the voice. The voice, yeah. So she's traveling to Darjeeling and she got this call within a call, she said, to mm. serve the poorest of the poor. So the book 
sort of takes the story from there and then brings it all the way up until she passes away. But one of the things this book brings to light is that though she received this call to bring Christ's light to the dark places and to the poorest of the poor, it was revealed that through much of her time ministering in that way, she was actually experiencing an interior darkness. Wow. What do you mean by, you know, interior darkness? Elaborate. Well, well okay. So, she, she supposedly, like, really experienced nothing of God's presence with her, no spiritual consolations, but rather experienced a tremendous sense of God's absence and, uh, and almost went through what could be described as a felt atheism. I mean, clearly, she never herself um, gave in to unbelief, but she experienced a feeling as if God did not exist, and uh, an interior almost deadness. Her prayer didn't give her any comfort. It's an interesting aside. Uh, St. Therese, who she took her name from, Mother mm -hmm. Teresa took her name from St. Therese, for the last 18 months of her life experienced a, a similar darkness and felt absence of God, uh, no consolations. So she was very much in solidarity with her patroness in this way. Now, can I, can I just ask, like, can you imagine Mother Teresa, the hardships of the life she was living, being an example to her sisters, serving the poor for God daily, keeping up the spiritual disciplines of, you know, the holy hour and the divine office and all the other things that, that she would do spiritually with the sisters, the way she spoke about Jesus, the way she spoke about the poor and God's care for the poor, and yet through all of that, feeling dead mm. inside. Mm. That's profound. I, I have a I have a theory on this. I think, um, I, for lack of a better term, I think that was her cross, but I think her desire and what motivated her to that, she was completely aware that what was getting her day by day was the grace that she was receiving. Yeah. Hey, want to help make this podcast better? Go to our survey URL in the show notes and leave your mark on A Reason for Hope. But even that, like you expect, like this is a, I mean, think she's, she's given her life to God. She loves, yeah. she loves Jesus so much. And they're so close that prior to her serving the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, that she actually heard Jesus speak to her. She had locutions. Yeah. And then boom, boom, right? Now, why would God hide from someone who loved him so much, from, from this great saint? Why would he seem and appear as absent? A saint whose aim, like the, the one aim was to do whatever Jesus wanted. I mean, there's even a part of this book that I referred to where it recounts how later on in her life, she was in front of the, the Blessed Sacrament in adoration, and she just says to Jesus, you know I've never refused you anything. I mean, like, that's her life. She's mm. just never to say no to Jesus. And yet, every lover wants to feel loved and experience the love of the one they love. I mean, right. like, so to experience just deadness and, and almost like in a vacuum. It's like, what's going on there? 
But I have a few ideas, and one of them actually comes from her herself. She began to realize that the Lord asked her to serve the poorest of the poor, and that this interior darkness was a part of her being in solidarity with the poorest of the poor, to experience their rejection, their marginalization, their aloneness. And then what is really the person who's the poorest? It's the person who's in sin, who has separated themselves from God. And so she, by wanting to live in solidarity with the poorest of the poor, also identified herself with the one who is in sin. And so she experienced in herself the the existential void of the atheist, of the sinner, of the one who had been separated from God by their own free choosing. And I think to feel the weight of that was something that God kind of entrusted to her as as a mission. Um, That's heavy, but she started to realize that that was why she was experiencing this. Mm. But think about it. It was pretty much sheer will, right? That she was, it's, I'm going to will to believe. I'm going to will to hope. I'm going to will to love. And yes, I'm trusting that God is providing the grace, even if I can't feel it, even if I feel as if I have no strength. Right. I think that in this way too, she she experiences something similar to our Lord experienced on the cross on Good Friday. As Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Well, clearly, Jesus didn't think that the Father had abandoned him. But it is believed that he, he, you know, he was always in a state of the beatific vision, Jesus. So it was believed that he intentionally veiled that vision, that, that he hid that vision from himself to experience that absence of the Father. And remember what Jesus is doing on the cross. He's taking the weight of every sin that has ever been committed on his shoulders on that cross. Well, what is a consequence of sin? It's separation from God. It's alienation from God. So the fact that Jesus allowed himself to have a taste of that consequence of sin becoming sin on the cross in order to save us from sin is pretty profound how much solidarity Jesus desires to have with the sinner. Mm. And so in this way, I think that Mother Teresa's darkness could be likened to to our Lord's darkness, if you could say it that way, on the cross. Mm-hmm. So I think that those are some you know, possible explanations for what she was experiencing, one coming from her, but then making that relationship to our blessed Lord. Did she reveal any of that? In, uh, yeah, in Come Be My Light, she talks about experiencing that, that. Yeah, that sense of experiencing the darkness of those who are alienated, marginalized, and in the greatest poverty, which is the poverty of sin. But just just to have that enlightenment, to to recognize what is going on and what God is doing in your life, I mean, that's powerful. That's grace. Well, so yes, that's incredible yeah. spiritual light yeah. going on. Yeah. Now, I think there's also an additional lesson, and I think it's an important lesson for the spiritual life. 
Nowadays, my impression is that people who try to get spirituality, even Christians, Catholics who try to grow in the spiritual life, tend to focus on emotions. So they want to go after spiritual practices that make them feel good, that make them feel close to Jesus, that Mm -hmm. makes, makes them feel like Jesus is near them. And yet, truthfully, this is completely... We're not going to name any of them. Yeah, know. yeah, but it's it's it's, <laughs> yeah. it's off target. Yeah, it's off target. That that loving God is not about feelings of love. In fact, Saint Edith Stein, Saint Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, talks about in her book The Science of the Cross, which is her reflections on the teaching of Saint John of the Cross. Talks about that love is not in feelings; it's in sacrifice. That it's, it's in the cross that we truly love Jesus, by taking on his cross, by, by taking on that self-denial. And yet, oftentimes, people are going after this. So, they want to experience these highs, this feeling. Or they want to experience, like, come some kind of special big spiritual experience, you know? And St. John of the Cross warns against that. You shouldn't look for locutions. You shouldn't look mm-hmm. for visions. You shouldn't look for all these kinds of things. Like those, those are, but people tend to want that, you know? It's, fu- um, it's funny. We actually talked about that here at Array of Hope today that, you know, God gives us different levels of spirituality. The first is enticement to get to the f- warm, fuzzy feelings. And the second level is, well, now I need you to really love me. Right. Well, you know? and then there's, so there's those darts of love that lure us in. Right. Exactly. But then there's like the lover that plays hard to get and disappears, mm-hmm. you know, makes you now pursue. Mm-hmm. I actually think that though pursuing feelings, they're not only not necessarily spirituality, they're, they're very dangerous to it because what happens is you form a habit of thinking you're close to God when you feel close to God and thinking you're far away from God when you feel far away from God. And yet God can be more intimate to you in your darkness and feeling of his not being present than he might be when you actually feel that he is present. And, And in fact, I've known in my own life that like there can be people who are actually sinning, are living in a way that is not pleasing to God, breaking the commandments, whatever the case, but like they talk about how close they feel to Jesus and that Jesus kind of lets them know in their prayer that he's okay with this. And I'm like, well, that's not Jesus. You know, <laughs> you're like, your feelings Jesus. of closeness could be the devil tricking you that you're, right. you're close yeah. with God so that you're complacent with your sin. Right. I mean, like, so there's, there's no guarantee there that the feelings equal the closeness, you see. So, in this sense, I think that the first thing is that you need to be living a life where you're trying to do the will of God. You're living according to the commandments, you're living faithful to the teachings of the church, you're staying in a state of sanctifying grace. That's first and foremost. But, like, if God chooses to give you feelings of closeness when you're living like that, well, then that's great. But if we're thinking that our spiritual life is dependent on that, then what do we say about a Mother Teresa? Mm. I mean, who could be closer to God than Mother Teresa? And yet she feels nothing, like God's not there at all. Was he really not there? And that's ridiculous to think that he wasn't there. Right. And yet if she were going based on her feelings, she should have just said, right. you know, the, that's it, I'm done. But instead she does what? She does what all the spiritual masters tell us to do. She perseveres. Right. She keeps doing what she knows she's supposed to do. 
She wills to believe. She wills to hope. She does the spiritual discipline. She's faithful to her prayer. She sits in front of Jesus for an hour every day, though she feels zero. And that's holiness. Amen. So that's a lesson there, I think, for us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been a great session. Super excited to hear Monsignor Michael Mannion's interview because he really knew this saint. It'd be great to hear those stories. Yeah, amen. Thanks, Dave. You're welcome. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Alanis here with Who's That Saint, where I give you guys three clues on one saint for you to guess before the big reveal. Clue number one, this saint was born somewhere around the year 260 AD, so although he is one of the most recognizable saints in our world today, everything that's known about him comes from a secondary source. Who's that saint? Clue number two, one thing that's quite consistent amongst his lore is his generosity and charity. As the story goes, he would use his wealth to give gifts to the people and children of his town. So who's that saint? Clue number three. The saint actually went on to become a bishop, and while attending an ecumenical council, he apparently lost his temper and punched a fairly famous heretic in the face. Maybe that lore of his generosity wasn't that consistent after all. Who's that saint? If you guessed Saint Nicholas, then you are correct. Saint Nicholas was born in an area that is part of present-day Turkey, and as a young man, he lost both of his parents, but reportedly used all of his inheritance to help the poor and the sick. Later on in his life, he served as Bishop of Myra, a city that is now called Demre. I can't believe we made it through the entirety of the saint's life and Christmas wasn't brought up once, so let's cover that really quickly. The name Santa Claus was stated to evolve from Nick's Dutch nickname, Sinterklaas, a shortened form of Saint Nicolaas, which is translated as the Dutch name for Saint Nicholas. So there you go, kids. It's safe to say that Saint Nicholas's love language was gift giving, and it has inspired people for many generations to come. Saint Nicholas, pray for us. Hey, we love that you listen to our Reason for Hope, and we want to make it better for you. You can help us do that by filling out our survey. Just click on the URL in the show notes so we can help you dive even deeper into your faith. Hey everyone, this is Jack, and welcome to the Music Corner. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode for the link to AOH Music's brand new single, Abba Father, recorded live at Oceanway Studios in Nashville. Abba Father was written in a season when our hearts needed to be reminded of how powerful God our Father is. By His word alone, He created all things. This song is a reminder that God the Father loved each of us into existence to join Him in glory. His love for us is so deep that He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to save and redeem us. We were never meant to take on this world alone. This song reflects the truth that regardless of our earthly relationships, we all have a Father, Abba Father, whose love never fails.
Monsignor Michael Mannion was ordained to the priesthood in 1971. Monsignor has had many appearances on television programs such as Meet the Press, The Charlie Rose Show, and MSNBC. He holds advanced degrees in theology, scripture, and youth ministry. His work also involves ministering to law enforcement personnel and their families. He is also the spiritual director for the Discovery House in the Diocese of Camden. Monsignor Michael Mannion is also a pioneer in the field of post-abortive healing, having authored some of the first and finest books on the topic, including Abortion and Healing and A Cry to Be Whole. Let's welcome Monsignor Michael Mannion. Well, Monsignor, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Uh, you've been a friend of mine and a friend of Array of Hope for some time, and uh, uh, I'm grateful that you're coming in and spending some time with me on this podcast and on this television program. And the reason we're calling you in, uh, most recently, uh, our channel is releasing this film on St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta. And uh, I know that you've had some history with her, contact with her, and she was your friend. So I thought it would be great to have you in uh, to share some stories. Uh, St. Teresa of Calcutta, uh, the kind of person that she was, uh, how you interacted with her, and really experiencing uh, a saint firsthand is pretty, it's pretty amazing. So I, I guess, um, you know, my first question is, how did you meet Mother Teresa? I was a student in Rome, uh, living at North American College and attending the Gregorian University. And we had this big meeting with many, many students from over 70 countries discussing how we could help the poor. Really good people, but as Mother Teresa would say, a lot of people talk about the poor, but not so many people talk to the poor mm. <laughs> to learn from the poor who they are. And so uh, another seminary and I decided to hop a bus, a second bus, a third bus, and go out to the Baraque, uh, the slums of Rome, and meet the people. Consequently, I picked up a motorcycle, and many times instead of taking those buses for an hour and a half, I'd hop on my cycle, North American College, and go down to the Baraque, Prenestina. After a while, Indian sisters came to work there as well newly arrived at Rome. And uh, they said to me after several months, uh, next week our superior's coming in from Calcutta and she normally takes a bus, but she's got a broken rib. We like to get a transportation. And I said, how about my motorcycle? And they said, no, not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so that night I I knocked on the bishop's door, Bishop James Hickey, our rector at North American College. And I said, Bishop, I'm picking up a sister at the airport tomorrow. Tomorrow morning, can I, can I borrow your car? He had a Vatican car and driver. He said, sure. Uh, so the driver and I went out to the airport and picked up Mother Teresa and took her to um, the Baraque in a little hut that was probably about maybe 20 by 25 or 30 the sisters lived with the poor. So then the sister said, Mother, she said to me, uh, Michael, we'd like to have mass tomorrow. And I said, I'm not ordained yet, Mother. Uh, let me see what I can do. So that night I knocked on the bishop's door again. <laughs> and I said, Bishop, I, I need your car again tomorrow, but I need you in it. <laughs> so 
So around six o'clock, six thirty, we drove out to uh, the Baraque, the slums, and uh, Mother greeted us at the door. And the cardinal, later cardinal, Bishop Hickey, had mass for the sisters, celebrated wow. mass for the sisters, and wow. and from that moment on, they became close friends. So that years later, when he would be Archbishop Cardinal of Washington, one of the first things he did was call her and say, "Mother, please come and bring your sisters." To our diocese awesome. and so that started a, a lifelong experience and he was very much involved in the uh, ceremonies and masses for her after she died because mm -hmm. we were together on the day she died September the 5th 1997 so so what year was this when you met her uh, this would have been around 1969 Wow she wasn't that well-known then, right? Or was she just starting to become recognized? Well, she, she received a Templeton Award. And um, Malcolm Muggeridge uh, was a English-British journalist who heard about her. And he went to Calcutta to find out what's going on with this nun that they're starting to talk about all over the place. And uh, she gave him a tour. As often is the case, you don't just take the tour, you're part of the tour. You're part of the experience. There's no observers when Mother Teresa gives a tour. Uh, she's holding the baby. Pretty soon you're holding the baby in the bottle and she's doing something else. <laughs> wow. uh, sometimes, sometimes she would say to a woman on the tour, this baby has no family. And she hands the woman the baby and says, I think you should adopt this baby here and take the baby. Wow. And I've met, I've met adults in the United States who didn't know I knew her, but mentioned I was adopted because of Mother Teresa in those type scenarios. It's wow. been very powerful for me. And I wrote to Mother and said, here's a picture now of a college student who you handed as an infant to a woman on the tour, and here she is. For a limited time, up until April 30th, 2023, you can stream the movie Mother Teresa No Greater Love on the Array of Hope channel with a free subscription. Just sign up on your desktop web browser at watch.arrayofhope.net. The links to the trailer and full movie can be found in the show notes of this episode. Enjoy the interview. Well, you've known her, you know, for, for you knew her for many, many years. So, Tell us some stories that maybe most some people do not know. Some things that you experienced that you, uh, <laughs> I, I know you have dozens of them, but maybe you know highlight a few today uh, that really sort of made you realize that you were in the presence of some some greatness, really a very holy woman. Well, uh, Galatians two, I no longer live; Christ lives in me. She was absorbed in Jesus. And everybody she looked at was Jesus in disguise. That was her mindset. That was her vision of life. That was who she was. Uh, after working with her uh, quite a while in the slums of Rome, I noticed that we'd go to these embassies and she'd have a sister with her. I'd be with a friend who had a car. And um, she'd say to the uh, attache or whoever at the embassy, uh, I'd like to get visas to take our sisters to your country to help out. And there'd be a pounding on the desk and no mother 
we'll accept Christians into our country, on and on. And she would just keep working the bees, saying the rosary silently and smiling. And 10 minutes later, we'd walk out of there with four visas. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I, I'd get out to the curb and I'd say, Mother, could you please explain to me what just happened in there? I'm not sure I get it. That was Mother. Wow. After a while, a period of time yeah. passed, uh, we'd go places and people recognized her in the back of the car, whereas before people didn't know her, and the crowd would form. And I remember once I was sitting in the back with her and this crowd formed and I said, Mother, look at all these people that came to see me and I'm so glad you could join us. <laughs> she would just laugh. She had a great sense of humor. I remember another time... Uh, in Washington, at their house in Washington. Uh, she asked me to stay after. She'd give me a big breakfast. She'd be across the table not eating anything, and I'd be picking out with this big breakfast. <laughs> so after that, she said, Michael, can you stay a little bit longer? There's a little event going on. I'd like you to be here to share in it. So um, it's a small room in the convent there. And uh, we go in and a film crew comes in. This is, you know, back in the 80s. So it's a lot of paraphernalia there. And she's in this huge chair and they give her this big plaque. She was only about um, five foot one. And she's holding this big plaque. Mm -hmm. And after the camera stops, she comes over and stands next to me. And she said, uh, whispered and said, Mother, Michael, now I can open my plaque shop. <laughs> and I said, I said, Mother, you supply the plaques. I'll open the shop and we'll split the difference. <laughs> wow. But she had that, that kind of sense of humor. And then she didn't like pictures, but she was always happy when I took pictures at the events with the sisters, especially because after they had their vows, uh, they got their assignments. Their families were usually around them. And the next day, they'd head out to that assignment someplace in the world and very often never see their parents again. Hmm. So I took those pictures, and uh, she liked those pictures. I gave her copies, and she said, you know, I, I made a deal with Jesus. Every time somebody takes my picture, he has to send the soul from purgatory to heaven. So I had that little 35-millimeter milli, canister, and I said, here, Mother, Here's a roll of souls for you. Here's a wow. roll of souls for you. Wow. So um, she had that kind of sense of humor and humor that uh, attracted people to her. If they saw that part of her, uh, sometimes they were so fascinated in awe of her presence, they, they missed her humanity. But she was humble, she was holy, and she was humorous. So, Monsignor, when you were here at Array of Hope and doing a mini retreat for us here in our team, you had mentioned a woman that wanted to join the Sisters of Charity. Can you share that story with us one more time? The context is um, California. Years ago, uh, I had written some books on post-abortion healing, and a little crew of about six or seven of us or less, including an aborted woman, woman would travel the planet from here to Australia, Canada, Europe, and do talks on post-abortion healing. 
in the midst of one of those talks out in California, I had a conversation with a pastor who knew that I knew mother and he knew her. And he said, I felt it strange at first. I said to her, mother, I, I know a young woman in our parish would be a, a great sister, a great missionary charity, I think. I'd like you to meet her. And mother says, oh, I'd be happy to. So she met with the woman. And then afterwards, the priest said, mother, what do you think? And she said, well, I, I felt it was not best that she be part of our community. And he said, why? Why, mother? Why do you feel that way? And she said, uh, well, she wants to work with the poor. And the priest was kind of mystified. And he said, I thought that's what you wanted. Mother said, no, we're not looking for people who just want to work with the poor. We're looking for sisters who want to become poor, become poor. Wow. And that summarized understanding of her mission. Wow. Amazing. So Monsignor, uh, another story that you share with our team is that you shared the story about um, Mother Teresa connecting with a gang leader. Can you share that with us? Yes. Well, as best I understand it, uh, Mother Teresa was visiting the Bronx in New York. Uh, I, I know that place a little bit because I remember when they, when they moved in years ago, I was involved, I think it was in the 70s, and carrying some furniture in, which is always an experience because half what you carry in, mother's going to carry it out. <laughs> <laughs> rugs, rugs included, <laughs> usually beds as well. But um, the sisters told her, I believe, that the gangs were shooting at the sisters. Wow. And Mother Teresa asked where their quote-unquote headquarters was. Kind of like we would say, where do they hang out? Right. So a sister who was from New York and knew the culture very well, takes her up to this perhaps third floor office, so to speak, and the gang and the leader are having a meeting. And she walks in. He says, you can't come in here. We're having a meeting. And she said something to the effect of, I know it's with me. <laughs> oh, gosh. Incredible. <laughs> to paraphrase it. And so they had a discussion. And evidently, she told him, you stop shooting at our sisters. And we will feed your families. Wow. And so it happened. Extraordinary. Fed them, protected them. As best I remember the story. How long did you work with her? How much time? Well, I, I knew her 29 years. And I worked with her for a while in Calcutta. Then I'd see her uh, in Rome. I'd see her uh, later in Washington. Uh, different places throughout the years. Different times different experiences. I remember um, not so long before she died, they gave her a very special award, the most prestigious award they could give a person that's not American. And it was the Capitol Rotunda. I wasn't there for the ceremony, but 
Cardinal Hickey later told me that um, Jim Tui, who was a good friend of hers, um, had it lined up that after she arrived in Washington the next day, uh, she'd be in the Capitol Rotunda receiving this special award, and the whole Congress yeah. would be there. And um, she ended up coming in that day before on a plane in a stretcher. She was so uh, debilitated. But she insisted that next day she was going to go to the rotunda. So um, they worked it out that they had a wheelchair and they put it in a special vehicle and took it to the Capitol. And the way the cardinal told it, um, they asked him to get up and do the talk in her place, basically using uh, the words that she wanted to say. And um, when it came time for him to do the talk, she bounced out of the chair, went over to the microphone in the podium, and gave the talk. <laughs> the people were blown away because she was, you know, so weak. Then she went back and sat in the chair, kind of like collapsed. Wow. And then they said, we're now going to introduce Cardinal James Hickey, a close friend of mother's for many years, Archbishop Cardinal of Washington. So he went over to the podium and I said, Cardinal, what did you say? What did you say? And he said, in a very somber voice, he said, I feel like the other guy who spoke at Gettysburg. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know, she... She was known to be very a very uh, profound and deep uh, thinker, and 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 uh, spoke uh, with such uh, truth and and emphasis on yeah. um, really sharing the the importance of God in a way that was really uh, inspirational. I mean, when when she spoke, people listened. So I'm sure that, yes. you know, you experienced some of that. What was that like? And did she prepare? Was she completely, you know, engaged with I, the Holy Spirit? What was that like? The only talk I know she prepared was what she gave at the National Prayer Breakfast because she gave me her copy. Oh, wow. But I, f I feel that what she shared was the fruit of her morning mass meditation. For example, I'm quoting this. She said, the greatest disease in the West today is not TB or leprosy. It's being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. There are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are many more dying for a little love. The poverty of the West is a different, different kind of poverty. It's not only a poverty of loneliness, but also of spirituality. There's a hunger for love as there's a hunger for God. Wow. She also said, sometimes the only way Jesus can get into our heart is to break it. Very powerful. Very powerful. Very powerful. Wow. We believe in our Christian faith that Jesus was Son of God and Son of Man. Ironically enough, one of the strongest heresies in the early church, I believe, was not denying his divinity, but denying Jesus' humanity. 
And she uh, understood that humanity so much so that after she died, when people found out that she had that dark night of the soul, they were almost like scandalized. How could this woman of faith have that doubts and struggles about Jesus? And one quote that I found that I thought was apropos for this sharing. Mother said, I begun to love my darkness for I believe now that it's a part, a very small part of Jesus' darkness and pain on earth. If I ever become a saint, I'll surely be one of darkness. I will continually be absent from heaven to light the light of those in darkness and pain on earth. And when we think about our Christian tradition, the dark night of the soul, the saints that went through the dark night of the soul, we recognize that um, if Jesus wants us to truly be part of him and he of us, the dark night of the soul, the crucifixion is a critical part of it all. Every convent in the world that bears missionaries of charity on the wall over or next to the tabernacle has that cross and also I thirst. I thirst not just for water, I thirst for souls. I thirst for souls. Hmm. And so as a young sister, there are many images of Jesus that she could have latched onto, healer, um, infant Jesus, a teacher, but she latched on to the suffering Christ. Wow. And because of that, I, I feel she understood well the Son of Man crying out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And she understood well too before his last breath. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. When you understand her dark night of the soul in terms of those experiences, those faith choices she made to believe all the dimensions of the reality of who Jesus was, Son of God, Son of Man, but with particular attention to I thirst on the cross. Uh -huh. It comes together. These are things I've been thinking about for the 25 years since she died and the many years I knew her while she lived. Wow, it's really powerful, Monsignor. Um, when you were with her, uh, I mean, this this didn't come out till much later, right? When she passed, we, we started reading some of her diaries yeah. and, and understanding. Yeah, she wanted them destroyed, but they didn't destroy them, yeah. So you, you had no inkling of this when you were with her, right? I mean, she hid all this remarkably well. Yes. And you would never know. I only I only met one bishop who's now deceased, a very holy man who did retreats for her. I was asked to go back to Calcutta as a priest and do a retreat for her and the sisters. Unfortunately, I never made it. But he said that she had briefly talked to him about that dark night of the soul. 
that's the only person I met who who knew it. And I I traveled to different countries, and I would try to stop in the convents for the missionaries to charity, and I'd quietly say to the Mother Superior, after she knew that I knew Mother pretty well, she I'd say I'd say Mother Sister in the convent, did you know about the dark night of the soul? And they'd all say, No, we didn't. No, we didn't. It's incredible. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean the joy was artificial. The the joy that she had when she hugged the child, when she held a man's head before he died and said a prayer, tell Jesus, I love him, I'm here for him. That joy was real, but the backdrop, the backdrop, I believe, was always that uh, reality experience of the dark night of the soul. It's um, it's it's just uh, I just to ponder it right now. Just to, I mean, it sounds like she made a a choice to embrace the humanity of Christ and, and to embrace his suffering. Yes. It's pretty powerful. I mean, like, if you had three choices, yes. I, you wouldn't want to choose, you wouldn't want to choose that one, you know. And Jesus answered her prayer through the dark night of the soul. That's my feeling. Wow. Wow. Many other people knew her much better than me. Mm -hmm. But she used to say to me, you've been with us from the beginning. I'd say, well, Mother, uh, you founded your order in the 40s. I didn't meet you until 1969. Yes, but from the time we left India to begin our mission in other countries, you were with us. And that was because the, the Pope said, don't travel outside of India until you train your sisters to be superiors mm. and comfortable in other countries and other climates and other places and wow. still be strong in their faith. So uh, out of the 29 years that you knew her, uh, Monsignor, what would you say would be the most, uh, in, the most important lesson that you've learned or something that you're literally going to be taking to the grave, something that you've really experienced that changed your life? Was there anything like that you could share with us? To be holy, you have to be human. No facades, no masks. Who you are is enough. I don't have to be Mario to be holy. Oh, please, I have to be please. Mike Mannion. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I have to be I have to be the most, the best Mike Mannion I can be. Mm. With my warts and my sins, my imperfections, my crosses, my joys, my sorrows, my celebrations. God made me to be enough to one day share eternity with him if I say yes to that call. If I try to be somebody else, I'm going to mess it up really bad, and I'm not going to be responding fully to the will of God. I, I think of how she saw herself. She said, by blood and origin, I am all Albanian. My citizenship is Indian. I'm a Catholic nun. As to my calling, I belong to the whole world. Bingo. Wow. I belong to the whole world. As to my heart, I belong entirely to the heart of Jesus. Our work is to encourage Christians and non-Christians to do the work of love. And every work of love done with full heart always brings people closer 
to God. She didn't see herself as competing with other religions. She saw herself as showing Jesus' love to all them. And it's God's love and grace that will bring them where he wants them. I often say to people, I have never converted anybody in my life. I've tried not to screw it up when Jesus is on the way of doing it. <laughs> but if I can in some way be a little bit of Jesus to the other people, a little bit of Jesus, and say I take my example from the Jesus of the cross and the resurrection and from the examples of Jesus I met, Mother Teresa, Cardinal Hickey, so many people through my life have been Jesus to me. Mm. Some have been people dying of AIDS. Some have been angry and bitter. Some have been drug addicted. Some have been quiet, lonely people that in their own way each day are really saints. And never to be written in an article in a newspaper, never to be seen on television, but their holiness expresses their holiness in Jesus. Yeah. I mean, what, what an example. I mean, um, she spoke the truth with such power and, 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 and her voice. I mean, really God's message. Um, she really, she gained the respect that of everyone essentially, uh, even with people that adamantly disagreed with her, respected her. Yeah. Right. And, oh, and, they, yeah. Uh, yeah. and so they knew that she was the real deal. What an inspiration for all of us, right, Monsignor, to have that goal, to be, like you yeah. had said, to be totally human and totally yourself, but to be convicted to, to Christ. It's beautiful. Yeah. Well, I remember another sacred moment. Uh, in the back of the car, we had just arrived at a destination where she was going to give a talk to a couple thousand people. Wow. And she said, Michael... When you celebrate mass and you place that drop of water in the chalice of wine, remember me, I'm the drop of water in the Lord's chalice is wine to become his blood. She said that. Wow. What an image to be, to be conformed. What? That's profound imagery. Mm -hmm. Love that. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's, that's one of the sacred moments. And so many others that are more private, uh, like she said, but the ones that I think are appropriate, I, I try to share with people if it's at home. Yeah. And I, uh, I try to share it, too, in the context of um, I'm nobody special. I was fortunate enough, blessed enough to have those years with her on and off. Once you don't see her, a couple times later you do in, in Rome or New York or Washington or someplace. And, and they're not moments that I've ever written a book about. They're not moments I've gone out of my way to, in any way, draw attention to me. Uh, you know, I, I often say, when people ask me, when, when she died, I, I anchored her funeral on CNN with Krishna Namapur. I was in Atlanta. CNN, and she was in Calcutta. And um, I tried to share some of those stories, uh, during the spots they gave me during the five hours or so of the funeral. And, and uh, anybody who sees me today wouldn't recognize me as being on that broadcast. 
they'll say, yeah, some priest was on that broadcast. <laughs> and maybe they'll, re maybe they'll remember something I said in that broadcast that mirrored Mother Teresa's wishes I pray for what I should say in that situation. Mm. But it doesn't matter that they don't know who I am. Right. It matters that I know who I am. <laughs> That's what matters. Yeah. That's what matters. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and Father, you know, y you are special. I mean, you, you have been chosen uh, to share uh, your experiences, and your experiences inspire us to want to inter have, you know, Mother Teresa intercede for us, you know? So don't, yeah. don't, uh, uh, don't downgrade your importance. Yeah. Uh, I, I think your, your witness and your voice is really important for us, and, and you're inspiring to us here at Array of Hope, and you're going to inspire the people that are going to listen to this broadcast. So thank you, you know, so much for your thank witness. You. Uh, thank you for your priesthood. And thank you thank for your you, friendship, yeah. Monsignor. I've always enjoyed spending time with you, and you spent so much time here at Array of Hope and inspiring us and sharing your priesthood with us. So I, I want you to know we I'm really trying. do appreciate that, and uh, thank you for spending the time well, with me today. Well, part of it is her quote, let Jesus use you without consulting me. <laughs> let Jesus use you without consulting you. <laughs> you know? Amen. I mean, uh, I, I got this phone that runs my life. Appointments, commitments, they're all good. But that controls my life. And sometimes I feel Jesus is saying, excuse me, Michael, I'd like to interrupt you. I can do so many things for Jesus, mm. but not spend as much time with him. Mm. And that's, that's the struggle, type A that I am. Mm -hmm. I should spend more time with him instead of just doing things for him. Mm -hmm. That makes the difference. Yeah. Well, um, thank you for sharing mm -hmm. that. Well, listen, Monsignor, I want to thank you so much for spending time with me and, and with us. And uh, God bless you and your work. And uh, we'll, we'll connect soon. Thank you very much. Uh, honored to be able to share this with you, Mario. My prayers, as you know, for your ministry and all you do. And again, whatever support and prayer I can share with you and for you, I'm happy to do it. Amen. God bless. Peace. So thanks so much for hanging with us today. It's been our pleasure serving you and sharing this podcast. And listen, I want to remind you, you got to let people know about it. Also, it really helps if you comment and give us a rating. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, give us a comment and give us a rating as well. If you're listening on Spotify, you can give us a rating. We also ask you to prayerfully consider going to our donation page to help us in our work and make a donation. Go to our website at arrayofhope.org. Join us on social media where we really stay connected with you through our music, through our videos, and through our daily reflections. There's lots of great stuff to share with you each and every day, and it keeps us connected. We also pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet daily on Instagram at 3 p.m. Join us there as well where we can pray together. Our guest next time will be Carl Keating, who is the founder of Catholic Answers. We're going to be talking about his latest book, which actually is quite different than his other books. We're going to talk about church history, which can be really fun. So thanks for joining us today. And there's always a reason for hope. This is Mario Costabile. Until next time, peace. <laughs>